Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone. On today's show, we have Stephen Wright, CEO of New View Innovations, an Atlanta-based innovation, ideation, and implementation company. Uh, Stephen has worked all over the world launching new brands and new companies. And we have with us Steve Rothschild, uh, a CPA uh, who has uh, an accounting, tax advisory, and financial advisory practice. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for inviting us. I'm especially pleased to have uh, Steve Rothschild with us in tax season. It's very, very timely. And as always, I love to start the show by asking our guests, what are the trends that are happening in your area of expertise that you think that are really important for CEOs CEOs to know about? So uh, we're going to have Stephen. Stephen, you want to take that one? Sure. Yeah, I guess some of the trends I've noticed uh, lately are are the, just the increased uh, amount of um, confidence, I guess, that business owners have at the moment. Uh, in reading the latest survey from Cabbage.com, it looks like about 7 out of 10 uh, business owners are expecting uh, good revenue growth this year. And so that's a positive um, note, as well as a note for people that are looking to change their products and services and do something different with their business this year. So that, that was quite interesting. And, um, and I think 70% of these uh, expect to expand their products or services. So not just relying on their businesses to continue on as they're going, but they're looking to change their products and services in some way. So that's, that's kind of an exciting place to be, I guess, from an innovation standpoint as well as from a business standpoint. And what's happening in terms of how companies and CEOs think about innovation in their companies? Is there anything new happening there? You know, I think it's become more more accepted and the fact that the product has a life cycle rather than thinking that this product or service is going to go on forever. They are now expecting to think that they need to change something, they need to respond to consumer demand, they need to look to move the product in a different area. So that that's a, that's a big factor, I think, that a lot of CEOs and, and VPs are, are are serious about nowadays. Mm-hmm. And what does that that life cycle look like? What how do how do companies know when it's time to start innovating, and how do they know when the their cash cow might be on its last leg? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question, I, and I guess it really depends on the business. I always say, and and, and Steve might want to comment on this, but I always say that. You know, it's, it's not to confuse everybody. We yeah, have two two yeah. Stevens. On I'm the Stephen show. <laughs> and Steve. Yeah, <laughs> but but I always say that you need to probably look at your your margins and your revenues over the last couple of years. And if your margins are starting to decline, if your revenues are any kind of decline, or if you're having any major negative feedback from your consumers, then your product is probably getting to the end of its life cycle. Doesn't mean you have to create a new product. It might be that you're going to or service. It might be that you're go- you need to really Rechange what you're doing and uh, go in a different direction, just tweak it a little bit, or it might be that you completely need to change it depending on what the competition is doing. Because you can guarantee the competition is doing something. Right, right. And what about you, Steve? Well, going along with that, um, I think you've got you've to look at what your market's doing. A lot of it is a, a, a gut feel. I have been in industries where I have seen changes coming down the road, and I've expressed it to the, the people that uh, are either my customers or in the industry, and they're all in denial. And then 
several years after it happens, they look at me and goes, how did you know that? And I think part of it is you've really got to get a look and see is that vivaciousness, is that uh, strength in terms of, of robustness, in terms of sales, is it there? And if you start seeing that, you've got to start thinking about, well, maybe I need to change, tweak uh, what you're doing. And, and of course, you know, taxes have been around for, you know, at least, uh, at least since, since the Roman era. Yes. So is there anything new or in, innovative happening, in, any trends happening with regard to, to, to taxes? Well, I wish I could say there was something innovative in taxes, but uh, what's happening that people have to be aware of with the uh, budget issues and, and the uh, fiscal deficit um, taxes have gotten more expensive, and people have got to be very careful with where they're going and what they're putting away when they get their bonuses, especially that, um, because you can be behind the eight ball 25, 50 grand in a heartbeat in the, with the new taxes because there's all sorts of, well, you've just triggered the, you've gone over this limit, you know, you're making more than this, there's this, all of a sudden, there's a, uh, a an additional tax to pay, and you've got to be careful. Now, one of the things you mentioned is is folks really have to look at at sales and make sure that there's still momentum in their in their sales activity, and that's maybe the harbinger of that that it's time to start maybe innovating and moving in a different direction, as Stephen was just saying. So, how do you how do you read that data? That's a question I'd love for both of you to to uh, to address because you can look at a change in your sales and it could be any number of things, um, not necessarily an indication that you ne- need some sort of product in- innovation. So, um, Stephen, you want to take that one? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a great great uh, way to look at it because yeah, just because your sales are going down doesn't mean your business your product is on the way out. Um, and I, I think it's a matter of really looking at it in such a way that you evaluate uh, a lot of the things that you do to evaluate to make sure that the salespeople aren't causing the problems, um, that the sales strategy isn't causing the problems overall, as well as the operations is not causing the problem. But once you get down to the marketplace and the consumer and their feedback, whether it's a, it's a B2B and the business consumer, B2C and the, and the, and the, you know, the, the regular consumer out there, and they're saying stuff about your product, and they're buying less of it, or they're they're not ordering your services often, and and it's really almost separated from sales. And you've you've tried a number of different sales strategy, then you've got to seriously look at this and say, well, something's going on here, and we need to address this. Mm-hmm. What about you, Steve? Well, you also have to look at your competitors and your marketplace. Number one, when you talk about taxes, what's the regulatory environment? Is it getting to a point where what you're doing really needs to be changed? Um, uh, and I've seen that in a number of industries, especially in the days when I did a lot of healthcare. care. Uh, you really have to watch what you're doing or you can be in, you know, you can really be in a lot of difficulties, not just revenue-wise. You also have to look at, when I say your competitors, um, when you start an industry and you're cutting edge, you may be the only one out there or one of the few out there. But if you start seeing the market becoming to a place where everybody's jumping into it or everybody's going into it, then that's a signal that even even though your sales still may be robust, you've got to make changes. Mm-hmm. 
And how often do you think CEOs should be looking at these issues? How often do they should they be evaluating them, and how how should they evaluate them? Yeah, I think I think really um, a CEO should be looking at these issues on a, on at least a quarterly basis. Um, it's hard to spot trends on a monthly basis. You can certainly see how your business is doing on your P and L or or whatever metrics you're looking at on a monthly basis. But on a quarterly basis, you can see a three month trend. You can compare that with the market trend, and you should have a fair idea based on your historicals at that point what is trending and what's not for you. Um, and if if you're not if you're not having a gut check at that point of view, then there's an issue. I, I mean, I know a lot of businesses budget for the whole year. But one of one of the things I, I I mentioned to business people is you really should should look at things on a quarterly basis and sometimes even rebudget your business on a quarterly basis because that's how fast some some sectors are changing. What about you, Steve? Well, I also think that you, you can't micromanage the business by looking at, at you like you said every month. But I think you've got to really be you've got to work, and this is what I tell everybody: you can't just work. Um, in the business, you've got to work on the business. You've got to allocate some time to do that. And if you're doing that, you're not so close to the trees, you can't see the forest, you'll get a big, bigger horizon on, on what's going on, and you get a big picture. It's, it's kind of like if you go to the museum and you go and stand up almost eyeball to eyeball with the picture, you really can't enjoy it. You kind of got to step back a little bit and look at what's going around to get that feel of when it's right. Because some of it is intuitive, you know, and, you know, certain people have that intuitiveness and others don't. Mm -hmm. And and in the area of intuitive intuition and creativity, how do you make sure that the the innovations are are relevant to the business and, and actually have real meaningful implications for the profitability of the company versus just being innovation for the sake of innovation. Yeah, I think I think some some CEOs look at innovation um, positively depending on their personality possibly. Yeah. And other CEOs look at it like it's a can of worms. And so I I, I often talk about knowing the process of innovation. And, and there's a protection in knowing the process and working the process. Because uh, at the beginning of the process, it, brainstorming is the first part of the process, ideation and coming up with lots of ideas. And that can scare some people because they're like, well, we can't do all these ideas. We can't put all these things together. But the second phase of the process is evaluation. Seriously evaluating maybe the top three ideas, um, doing some due diligence on them, starting to think about them. What does the profitability look like? Possibly, can we produce this? Is this practical for our company? Is this somewhere we want to go? So, understanding the full process of innovation is kind of key for people as they think about this concept, whether it's innovating inside the company, innovating a product or service, or completely innovating a new sector in their business. And after evaluation, are there any other steps in the process? Yeah, I mean, really, then you go, then evaluation. I, I typically talk about the fact that, and, and I can send this out to people if they want to send me an email. But you, you talk about the fact that you want to get into into the production side and to into building out a, a test market product. Um, but that can that, there's a number of cycles in there that you're going to go through to make sure that you trial this in an efficient way without spending a lot of money. Um, and once once you've done that sort of testing, you're gonna you're gonna think about really focusing in on one particular product. Sometimes people try two or three different ideas before they really decide on the one that they're gonna pursue. And then once they pursue it, then they start to perfect it. And as they perfect it, they they get it right. They they make sure they get feedback from the marketplace. 
uh, feedback from and buy-in from staff and all the stakeholders in the project, including vendors and all that kind of thing. And then they move into the whole area of marketing and thinking about how are they going to put this out to the consumer, um, whether it's B2B or B2C or, or in some other fashion. And then, then they put the marketing plan together and the sales plan together. They roll it out, you know, and, and, and training is part of that. Often training is skipped over in, in some, some of these things. And then finally, it's, it's market launch. And then I always talk about market evaluation because sometimes products don't always hit the mark when they go to the market first. And sometimes you've got to bring it back in, kind of retweak it, and get it back out there. It might take two or three goes at it. And so there's a, there's, a, there's a very specific process for innovation. And so if anybody wants to know a little bit more about the process, just send me an email. I'd be happy to, to send it out to them. Great. And, and what are the, some of the reasons that innovation doesn't work? Why, what, what are the, some of the reasons that innovation fails? Yeah, I've actually got a, a whole white paper on this on my, my site. But I think one of the things that really jumps out to me as I think about the small to medium-sized business sector is... Which is, is where you know, we, we yeah, tend to play. Yeah, is, is really the whole area of execution. I think a lot of, a lot of small to medium-sized business owners are great in the areas of ideas, ideas and marketing and, and, and tactical, um, getting something to market. But sometimes they fail in the execution phase, and whether it's in actually getting the product right, um, understanding um, that their staff maybe are overworked in their existing business and they're trying to get them to do something new, and they just say, hey, we just need to put this together. You know, and so getting, the, getting a whole project executed from start to finish and getting it executed well is often where I see the wheels coming off. Mm-hmm. And, and Steve, how do you overlay... Um, sound financial management and, you know, from my perspective, good strategy on top of this process that that Stephen is talking about? Well, what people have to realize is that the innovation doesn't stop with the idea, hey, this is a great idea. I think I can do this. Um, Even once you launch your your product, you're going to or or service your market's going to change, and you've got to be very adaptable, especially at the beginning, to honing in on those details and getting the right financial data so that you can measure these, measure where you're going to be more successful. Because if you don't, you know, anything that's not measured, it's not probably going to grow because you're, how do you know? So that's that's the whole point, and especially in the small to medium-sized business market, people have a tendency to get a great idea, but then the follow-up isn't there. And if the follow-up isn't there, I mean, you know, how many times have you got a, you, you've heard a story, a guy says, well, I came up with that idea 20 years ago, but it didn't work. That's why. Mm-hmm. So what are there specific metrics that you encourage people to look at when they're in this innovation process that they need to, you know, these are the things that you should be measuring? If so, what would they be? Well, I think the first thing, a lot of these metrics are very specific to what you're doing, but you've got to look at your industry, okay? And you've got to have a first, you've got to understand the goals, and you got to have a vision, not that this is a great new product, I want to go do it. You got to have you. You got to. You also have to put some tangible measurement markers in terms of what you want to do in the industry, so that you can uh, capture the essence of what makes that 
product or service grow. Right. Now, one of the things that I've seen with, with product launches that happens all the time is they end up under-resourced. Either not enough um, money um, is budgeted or they are under-resourced in terms of the, the skills and the, the time of the team. And so I'd love for both of you guys to weigh in on how folks, when they're starting out this process, can make sure that the that their project or product or even innovating in a new sector is, sector is ad- adequately resourced. Stephen? Or Steve, sorry. Steve. Yes. Uh, the it, uh, Again, I'm going to go back to something I mentioned before. You've got to work on the business. You've got to allocate time to work on the business and not in the business. You know, it's great to go out, generate sales. All of that's needed. But if you're developing a product, service, you've got to have that time. You've got, that's the first thing I see that goes wrong is they've got that idea and they're already going and recruiting customers before they end up uh, really coming to the completion stage of developing what they want to sell. So it's kind of the load fire and aim syndrome. Yeah. And of course, you're going to miss in that in that situation most of the time. So it's a matter of having that discipline um, to be able to recognize that and to set kind of a pattern of I'm going to set certain benchmarks down for myself, not just for the what you're trying to do, I got to have so much in sales, or I got to see how many of these kind of people in the market that would want to buy this. You want to do some things for yourself so that you can keep yourself staying on track. Mm-hmm. Are you finding that most of of your your folks that are doing new product launches are are doing a business plan or a strategic plan before they actually launch the product or service? Yeah, I find that uh, the strategic plan is developed during the course of the product development because um, if you develop it at the beginning, you're really not sure where you're going to end up. Product development or new innovation is like a roller coaster. It kind of goes up and down. You're not quite sure where it's going to go. You know you're going to get there in the end. but uh, You it, hope you're going to get yeah, there in the end. Yeah, it's a ride. It's going to be a bit of a ride. So... You know, I, I really, I really find that that people develop it on the way through and then then finalize it towards the end. Um, but on the on the subject of metrics, if I could weigh in on that for a moment, Please. I think I think that I think some uh, CEOs understanding the urgency of the market often can help them think and find the resources. CEOs find money for things that they know they need to do, and when they understand the fact that. Their, cons- their competition is going to take 30% market share from them in the next 12 months if they don't do something, that can create a sense of urgency. And I think if they truly understand what the urgency is behind the innovation, then they're going to find the money. The other thing I would, I would weigh in on is that I think doing some analysis in terms of projected profitability, uh, for instance, I remember one client where we talked about the cost of labor coming down uh, from 25% to, uh, I think, 17%. So that was a significant piece in terms of them understanding there was going to be a higher profitability in this new product uh, than the one we had before. And so that can also create a sense of, of, of potential future profits that they're going to invest in, and, and it's going to make sense to them. But like you say, if they don't invest in this on the way through, there's going to be trouble, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not going to get them where they need to go. Mm-hmm. And what kind of analyses do do you encourage uh, folks to do, Stephen, to make sure that they get the budgeting and the resourcing piece correct? You know, I like, I like to get everybody on the team involved in the project 
along the way, not not necessarily putting the project together, but in terms of updating. If if the CFO or the or the the, the person in charge of finance is not at not at least um, you know part of the process along the way through, and they're not but understanding that we're going to have to do this and we're going to have to do that. Here's the future revenue, and here's what we need to spend. Then there's going to be there's going to be an aha moment for everybody at some point along the way. And not necessarily so, a good aha. No, either. no. And and so so that's that's a key part of getting buy-in from all stakeholders along the way through the process. Mm-hmm. And and Steve, in terms of making sure that the the new product or n- new business line is profitable, what are the the key things that you recommend? Well, the first thing that I recommend in terms of getting there is to make sure you've got a reserve fund. Everybody here drives a car. You got to have a spare tire. It's not that you want to use it, but you've got it for a reason. That will help out a lot in what you're doing. The other other things is that, that you need to do is you've got to very carefully manage your cash flow in a new innovation, a new product that's coming out, so that you don't get the exuberance of the newness of what you're doing and the excitement doesn't overtake the steps that you need to be doing to reach the success. So I think those are two key things. Uh, the other thing that I also suggest that you uh, look at in terms of it is that you be realistic when you're putting your team together and realizing that very few times does somebody pull out the winning lottery ticket and boom, it's just there. This isn't this isn't the... the uh, um, pull a rabbit out of your hat thing. It's usually, it's it's a, a labor of love. It's kind of like a marriage. You work on it your whole life, and hopefully, for most of us, it gets better and better <laughs> and better. <laughs> so you mean, so what you mean by that is that, you know, the, when the team or the product is initially launched, that they're going to be, there's got to be some iteration, right? It's, they're not going to get it right necessarily mm. the first time. Right. And, and I think to add to that is is that sometimes uh, a new innovation needs to be separated from the existing structure. You know, I have clients who we create a, a little skunk works on the side and it might only be two or three people that are building out this product or service in, in, in their part in part time. And I'm kind of guiding them and directing them, coaching them and, and helping manage them through this. And that allows the existing business to continue on with it, with its main focus because you don't want to detract the focus of what the current existing business is going to do because generally speaking, this money and this profitability is not going to hit the bottom line this year. It's going to be the following year. Mm-hmm. And so it's important that the business continues to focus on doing their regular stuff really well. Mm-hmm. In terms of the, the labor of love idea, how does a CEO evaluate when it's time to put more effort into a new innovation versus when uh, it's time to throw up the, the white flag and say, you know what, we tried it and it didn't work. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I, I think Thank that you. yeah. I think really the 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 essence of it is it kind of relates to how important this is, but also relates to whether this thing is doing very well. Sometimes it's important to fail quickly and, and to move on to the next piece of it. Um, but people have walked away from failure and said, well, that didn't work without really understanding that they could have tweaked it 30% and gone this direction or that direction or that direction. So I hate to see the effort wasted. 
and them not really continuing to take that lesson and learn from it and move on in a different direction or move it slightly a different direction. Because people have a way of not liking change anyways. And sometimes there's stakeholders within an organization that are going to say, well, that didn't work because now I can get back to my regular job. And there's because there's a fear that that a new product or a new service is going to change people's jobs, change people's lives and change the way things go. And, and so some people are almost relieved when something fails. I hate to say it. And so it's important that people look at failure and, and learn the lessons of failure and say, well, how do we then change something slightly to take it in this direction? Because sometimes it m you might have to fail three or four times before you get it right. And I know nobody wants to hear that, but it's better than losing 30% market share next year. Mm -hmm. So when you say three or four times before they get it right, like how, what's the time horizon over which that happens? I mean, this can happen. This can happen in three months, or this can happen in nine months. It depends on on how how what kind of product or service we're we're trying to fix. Services are a lot easier to innovate. You can turn them around a lot faster than a, than a manufactured product. You know that takes a long time to get the molds made and get all the pieces done and get everything right. And and the commitment to uh, a, a physical product, especially if it requires a lot of manufacturing equipment and that kind of thing, is is pretty high. So as you get into it, you, you need to move very quickly if you see that things aren't going in the right direction to make it right. I remember one client, um, they, had to, they had to pay overtime, I think, because they, they had a deadline to get this done. They had to pay their vendor overtime for a whole week, at, uh, an extra shift, just to get this thing back on track. And they did. So, so it's important to, to do what you need to do to get, to get things back on track, even if you feel like things are falling off the rails a little bit. And how does this process look different for really like small and medium-sized businesses, which is kind of our our demographic versus much much larger companies? I mean, or is it different? I should ask. Is the innovation process different? I think the process is the same. I think the the actual what it looks like is very different. Uh, and I believe that small to medium-sized businesses are much better at innovation than large companies. Large companies are bogged down by politics, committees, and all sorts of things that that you can't really see. They people small businesses look at them and say, "Well, they have all these resources to innovate." But those resources actually sometimes get in their way of, cre of being creative. Whereas a small to medium-sized business owner is used to being creative. They're used to having to fix something and, and solve a client problem and then do this and do that and do this. So they're naturally more innovative. In fact, if you look at the, the business statistics, a lot of large companies buy small companies simply for the innovation that they created. And so I think small to medium-sized businesses have a huge opportunity to innovate because they, they're very nimble. They innovate on the fly. They can change quickly. Um, the downside of being nimble is that is that you change too fast and that you're not really following a process, which is why I talk to them a lot about the process. But when it comes to innovation, I think if you put the, the, the big guy and the small guy in the same race, the small guy is going to win the race. Right, right, right. And, and Steve, uh, we're kind of in the middle of the, the, the tax season and folks may not be thinking as much about innovation as they are about the fact that April 15th is looming and they need to get their taxes done. But how would you say that this figures into the long-term wealth building or profitability of, of, a, of a small and medium-sized business? Well, the first thing that people need to realize in terms of wealth building is that spending money because it's tax deductible is not a good business decision. I'm not saying if you need something and you can get a tax deduction out of it, you shouldn't do it. 
but I'm saying I hear a lot of people tell me, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to use my, my favorite uh, thing. I'm going to go out and buy a new car. I'm going to get this big, buy this big SUV and get this deduction. And then I ask them because they're not really utilizing the bigness of the car. They don't have to go around and haul things around and need it. And I, you look at the cost of the car, and you're still paying, in most cases, at least 60% of the cost of the car. What sense does it make? You're spending all this additional deduction for 40% greater deduction. Doesn't, you know, if you add up the numbers, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't match. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you need to be able to, throughout the year, know what's happening tax-wise. You talk about the discipline, watch what's happening tax-wise, fund your liabilities as you're going along, as you're making the money. Because number one, on an upside market, you're not going to be surprised and have to come up with a lot of money at the end of the year. And then on the downside market, you can adjust your payments down to give you some room. Because if you come at the end of the year and say, oh, gee, I owe $100,000 to the government, the tendency is because the urgency of needing that money, you're going to make a lot of what I call bad decisions in order to come up with that hundred grand, which you're going to pay for the next year, two years, and possibly three years. Mm-hmm. And how do people develop more discipline? Because I think most people know that they're supposed to be, you know, funding that liability all along throughout the year. How Most people probably don't do that. How, how does one develop that discipline? What What is your encouragement for getting people to do what they're supposed to do? That's what systems are for. Systems, most people look at systems and they think they're straight jackets. It, it, it prevents me from being free. No, what it will help you do is if you develop a system within your company, within your organization, or even individually, where, number one, you're, you're at least spending the time looking at it and thinking about it, and especially taxes, because that's usually does not, it's not, doesn't give people a warm, fuzzy feeling no. when they look at it. So if you look at that kind of stuff, and you make an idea, and you make a plan and you've got a system to keep you on track, you're not going to be surprised at the end of the year. You're not going to get to this bad, you know, I got to come up with this money. What will I do? And I, I see that, you know, I call it the chicken little approach. You just start running around crazy and that doesn't, you know, that doesn't bode you good whether you're trying to innovate a product, whether you're trying to just operate a company and of course, the the stress on you, in in your household and in personally, it's not a good thing. So it's 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 really a thing, you know. I'm going to have to address it. Let's address it in a sane way. Right, right, right. And um, well, let's turn to you guys. So you guys know each other, Stephen Wright invited um, Steve Rothschild here. So I would love to just find out a little bit about you know the. The relationship between you guys, that, that's something that's of great interest to me because while innovation and sound financial management are great um, practices in running a business, our relationships are really what what make the business sound and how we progress from one stage of growth to the next. So um, how do you guys know each other? And, and Stephen, why did you invite Steve to be with you here this morning? 
I met uh, Steve at a at a at a, a presentation that I was making oh. to a group of people, and um, and I had a great conversation with him after the presentation. And I'm always fascinated by accountants that think differently. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some accountants are very narrow in their thinking, and Steve struck me as a guy that that really had a sense of. Of, of great structure when it comes to the accounting issues. I have to admit, I was surprised that you invited an accountant onto a show about innovation. Yeah, and I, I hopefully people, everyone will be surprised and might be a little bit interesting for people, but but he, he also looks at the business side and, and the need to innovate because at the end of the day, his interest is in helping clients grow just like everybody else, like it should be, rather than restricting them and pulling and, and just telling them to send in their regular bills. So Steve has Steve has a great sort of um, innovation mindset, and think. In fact, I think you belong to a group of accountants around the country who, yes. who are who are quite innovative in their thinking. Yeah, it's called the Thriving Firm, and uh, it it it's what we talk about. And you know, when you, some of the things that you had mentioned before, uh, a lot of what people miss in the planning process is the fear. You know, that's most people. The fear of failure is larger. Than the, the you know than the gaining success, well, part of that comes with safety. Well, you've got to kind of realize that if you take qualified risks, yeah, you're you're sticking your neck out there somewhere. But if you qualify them in the right way, you're much more likely to be successful, and ultimately you will be successful. If you take that approach, if you're just willy-nilly out there, then you're, you know, I've seen people that they come and they go, you know, they hit the big time couple years and then they're gone. Mm -hmm. So, well, Stephen, you had mentioned that you often will see um, failure as a part of the process. Um, and yet people are, are fearful of failure. And so how do you encourage folks to be willing to take the take the risks or to be able to at least um, manage manage those risks effectively and manage the fear around around the risk and the, the fear around failure. Yeah, I think it's a cultural issue for a lot of companies. And a lot of companies look at failure because they're very production-oriented as a negative thing, and so it should be. I mean, if you're on the production line and you fail to put the right screw in the right spot, that's not a good thing for the product at the end of the line. Um, but when you're talking about innovation and doing new things, there needs to be a cultural understanding within a company, and it has to be driven from the top, I believe, that that failure is a good thing. And so there's there's different kinds of failure. And, and so I encourage people to define where failure is good and where it's not good, rather than just saying failure is bad or failure is good. And so as, as people in the company start to see that failure in this part of our company is not a good thing, but failure in th this part of our company is a good thing, then they start to understand that it's it's a broad concept and that it applies in different ways to different people. So that then they start to come in and they say, hey, I tried this thing in my own spare time. It didn't work. But you know what it taught me? It taught me that maybe we should look at it like this and maybe we should look at it like this. And when those stories start to get shared within a company, people then start to start to get it that, that the CEO or the head of operations is interested in people experimenting and even failing at some things in order that the company can continue to move forward. 
Do you think that that's true you know, in the broader business context as well? Because isn't it true that many entrepreneurs have to fail multiple times before they they ultimately hit their, their big success? Yeah, I think it's absolutely true. I think in early stage companies, failure is, is generally welcomed because they know that they're going to hit it. And, and that's generally part of the culture of an early stage company. When a company gets into its middle stage and maybe towards its, 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 towards its management um, stage towards the end, Failure tends to be not welcome because they're trying to keep processes fixed. They're trying to make sure that people people get better at doing the way they wanted to do. They don't want them moving away from the existing process, but they forget that they need to continue to encourage ideas, and some of the best ideas are going to fail, and that's going to teach them some good lessons. So uh, particularly in second and third stage companies, I think that they miss out on this area. Mm-hmm. And Steve, you talked about managing risks. Mm-hmm. Um, how... how does a CEO think about what a, a managed risk is or what a managed risk looks like and when you know you might be taking on too risk too much risk um, or not an, you know how, how do they gauge that? Well, I think the first thing you've got to do following up with what you were talking about is is the CEO, CFO, whoever you're talking about is driving the company has got to have a vision and that's got to be, passed down to the folks working for them so they really understand what they're trying to do that helps a lot with the innovation but then when you get to the when you get to measuring and monitoring it is what it looks like is you realize that in order to do this I've got to have certain metrics and I'm not just talking about a profit and loss here I'm talking certain indicators key indicators that are going to tell me where I'm going and you use those to make sure that you're doing what you need to be do- what needs to be done. Uh, I had a client that innovated a few years ago and tried and bought a new piece of equipment, and it was great. And you know the projection was that he was going to really reduce his cost. And what ended up happening was he wasn't using his raw materials. So what he saved correctly. So what he saved in terms of uh, labor cost, he lost in material cost. The good thing is he had a process there where he monitored that. And because of that, the supplier of the equipment that he bought said, you're not using this right. And he got to his goal. And that's how thin a line there is between success sometimes and failure is that those kind of indicators that can help you avoid a pitfall that's really the cause of the big problem there mm-hmm. that you've got. Mm-hmm. And how do how do CEOs use advisors like yourselves to to help manage manage that risk or to make sure that they're they're actually viewing some of these these issues in in a in a clear light? I think a lot of a lot of companies uh, use use my myself and my company for the main reason that their existing staff are already working at 100%. And those staff that aren't working at 100% probably shouldn't be innovating. And so so they want to make sure that their existing business continues to run along the way the path it's going and they want to and and they also don't have the experience at driving and executing innovation. They may have had some had some failures that that kind of weren't executed well. They may have not not um, found profitability from them. So they really want somebody to come in and help manage, drive, and make sure the process goes through from start to finish. 
um, so that there there is a continual focus. Because generally speaking, uh, most of their people are focused on and should be focused on their existing business and their existing products and services. But I imagine that having somebody out come from outside is like that brings that fresh, yeah, that fresh perspective that they just can't get from being inside the bubble themselves. Yeah, and and the experience that you get from different sectors, different a- industries, and different areas, you can apply to almost anything. Um, and and along with that, just even at the beginning of the process, helping them understand how many different ideas there might be in ways they can go. I remember talking to a manufacturing client and running a brainstorming session for three hours, and, and at the end of it, they were just amazed that we came up with, you know, 150 different ideas in ways. Now, we didn't obviously go down all those paths, but they were absolutely amazed that, that their own people could come up with that many different ideas on where they could go with the product. Do you think that innovation is possible in any business? Absolutely. And, and I think that the way, the way the marketplace is moving, consumers expect it. I think the expectation of consumers today is higher than it's ever been probably in the lifetime of business. And, and, and I think that if businesses aren't innovating in some fashion, and it's a broad term, but if they're not actually looking at the life cycle of their product or service and saying our life cycle is, is probably getting towards its middle or its end, if they don't really understand where it sits and how the trends in the marketplace are moving against them or for them, if they're not doing it, their competitors are, or there's somebody in a garage somewhere that's figuring it out. Mm. Great, great, great. And what about you, Steve? I mean, have you seen any any kind of innovation at all in, in, in your industry? What about the proliferation of technology? Oh, certainly. When I first started in public accounting, you'd go to Fortune 500 companies when I'm in the days when I worked for uh, a big eight CPA firm, uh, and things would be ma- things would be manual. The, the, you'd write out a, a trial balance on a piece of paper, big accounting sheets of paper. You don't even see those papers anymore. Uh, to produce a financial statement just for a small business was an impossibility. That's happening today. So now the next step is, if you've got those tools, utilize them. And that's where I see a lot of people in terms of innovation. That's why I do what I do, because... Doing bookkeeping is great, but if you don't know what the numbers mean, which in in a lot of cases, employers have people that are very good at putting the numbers in the right place, but they don't know what they mean. Um, So if you've got people uh, from the outside that can help you do that, that makes it a a win-win situation. And and that's really what I look for is, is, is people that are not afraid to challenge things, but are also want to make sure that, hey, listen, I got a safety net. I'm not on the trapeze wire without a safety net below me so that you so when you fall, it's not you're not done. Have you found that that CEOs in this small, midsize um, segment actually are using the data now that it's available? Are they actually using the data or no? It's becoming more and more and more. So if you talk to most people out there, like when I have a conversation for a client that comes in with their taxes, what they really want is somebody to help them achieve their goals and dreams in their business, not a tax return. All right? So I see more and more of that coming about. And it's a it's it's being willing to as a CPA yourself, take some risks in that you're going to do things you haven't done before. 
Well, that's okay. Like what? Okay, a client comes to you and says, I need to put in a new cost system, okay? Well, if you've not never worked in cost accounting and understand the method of cost accounting, you know, you can be overwhelmed. But in today's day and age, there are so many resources out there that can help you get there and do it the first time that you've just got to have that confidence. This is not rocket science. It is, you know, it's we're not creating the atomic bomb for the first time. We are, at this point in time, there's somebody who's done it. And if there's usually in the innovative market, if there's somebody who's done it, they're more than happy to help you and, and share in the success to do it. But you've got to have a, a, a vision um, in doing that, those kind of service that it's what the what's best for your customer, not what's best for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so uh, how are you guys innovating in your businesses? Stephen, what, what, what innovations are you looking forward to at, at your company? In, in my business, I, I guess for me, it's, it's about just, just having a lot of fun and, and finding ways to really enjoy what I do. I think, uh, I think like most entrepreneurs, if you're not having some fun, then, then what's the point, right? <laughs> so, you know, um, I, I innovate in my recreation quite a bit. So that's, that's when I jump on my four-wheeler and have a bit of, <laughs> bit of, bit of mud, right? But I, I think the, 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 the big part for me is talking to a lot more business owners about innovating on waste in their company. Because I get excited, I think, when I can help them build a product or service and put most of that money to the bottom line. I think that's a lot of fun. And, and they get excited because yeah. it's like low-hanging fruit, right? And they're, and so for me, I'm doing a lot more and more thinking about that, some writing about it, and, and just, just talking to business owners. In fact, I had a client recently where, you know, we innovated a product that he was actually taking, I think, a couple million dollars worth of stuff to the dump every year, literally taking – he was in the construction business – and uh, we were a- able to take about three hundred to five hundred thousand of that stuff he was taking to the dump and create a product out of it. And so now he doesn't have to pay the dump for that stuff, and he gets money for the product. So he's getting his money in two ways, and and the labor costs were pretty minimal. So those kind of things get. I feel like yeah, I've really done something here, and we're having a lot of fun. And and that's what you mean by innovating waste. Can you yeah. just explain that? Yeah, I think anything in your business that is going to waste, like literally, if you're taking something to the dump, or if you're if you if you have staff members that are only working at a forty percent capacity, there's sixty percent going to waste there. I mean, I, I remember talking to a, a guy who owned a bunch of a hotels and and. The night manager was just sitting there all night. I said, and he was doing the accounts, like bookkeeping actually it was, for the hotel. And I said, well, why don't you train him on how to do bookkeeping for all kinds of hotels all over the country and keep this guy busy all night? Because he's really only working at 30% capacity. He's like, oh, yeah. And so, so he was started to think about how could he actually take the wasted hours of that employee and other employees at the other hotels that he had and build a little business around helping hotels and, and doing some of their bookkeeping for them. Wow, great, great. What about you, Steve? Well, I think that uh, one of the things that I do is with clients is 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 the is have the entrepreneurial conversation. Get away from the numbers, from the tax returns, and look at what do they want to do, and have a discussion with them. Because what 
we're doing on the radio, what people do, hopefully with their advisors, is they talk to people not just to feel good, but to use people as a sounding board and to get and to further tweak the idea so it's a success. And I think that's number one what I do. I do not just focus on the numbers. I focus on what they're trying to do. What what's really driving somebody to be successful? What are their fears? You know, what are their dreams? And if I have those tools, if I know those metrics in hand, then I can be successful with a client and I can help them grow their business uh, in ways they they never thought of. I'm not a salesperson. So, yeah, if it's low-hanging fruit, I can tell somebody some sales ideas. But generally speaking, when it comes to numbers and what they're saying, it's like giving somebody a, a book in Chinese. They can't read it, but I can read it. So if I can disseminate that to them, that makes a big difference for for people. And that's and to me, that's the whole fun being in business is having that difference in people's lives and really helping them make what they, they want to be. Awesome. Great. And Stephen, you mentioned your, your white paper. If pe- folks are interested in getting in touch with you or finding out more about um, how to innovate waste um, or any of the things that they've heard from you today, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, you can send me an email at sw at newviewinnovation.com. And um, and I'll give you a, send you a, a link to a white paper on the six reasons why innovation fails and what you can do about it. And it's really specifically designed for small to medium sized businesses and the kind of failures that I've noticed. And 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 a lot of them are pretty easy fixes in in the process to make sure that you know my passion is to make sure people are successful in what they do, you know, and and not blow it on the way through because um, it's wonderful to see you know these businesses just rise and succeed. So. So that's definitely something I would love to do. The other thing is, is just offer them, you know, opportunity to brainstorm with them if they ever wanted somebody to talk to and say, you know, let's come up with a few ideas if they're kind of stuck and they're not sure where they go. Because there's there's two kinds of business people in my experience. One kind that has too many ideas, and they keep implementing them, and their managers are like, stop, stop, we don't need to implement anything. We just need to do what we're currently doing. And then there's the other group that that are fair, afraid of ideas and don't really have a lot of ideas. Mm. And what about you, Steve? Well, uh, I can uh, be reached at uh, steve at rrbcpa.com. That's my email address, obviously. Uh, or you can, uh, we have a, a, a website, um, rrbcpa.com, and you can uh, see what we're all about. Um, I do offer people, they can call me at my, my office, uh, 404-974-3066. And I'm happy to sit down with anybody. Obviously, the next few days are going to be tough, but <laughs> the 15th is around the corner. Let's sit down and, and talk about what's concerning you and how just ideas that I think can help you, which is uh, an important thing. Great. Well, thank you both so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate having you. Thank you. Yeah. Tune in next week, Tuesdays at 8 a.m. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com. <laughs>